Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream And you can holler. Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast As always, one man's view of the changing world through changing times And the things that we can all do to live a better life If times get tough or even if they don't dictate it is almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. As always, I say one man's opinion. I want you to remember that it is important. If you do not get one man's opinion in this, one man's view, then you will not um, understand the spirit of the show at times. You get all upset and angry. She won't understand that your view is welcome. Or when I tell you, hey, you know what, take my information, do what you want, take what you want, leave what you want, you won't believe it because you've been so ingrained in media and bias and everything else that it won't sound sincere. I mean it. It's one man's view. Okay, today uh, we're going to do a couple different things here. Number one, I've been doing this new intro segment. I'm going to continue with that today instead of going into the housekeeping first because I think people are liking that. But I'm not going to do the intro segment on current events. I'm going to do the intro segment today on uh, a show called uh, The Colony that had its second episode last night, even though for some reason in the menu on Dish Network it says episode six. And I don't know if it's because it's day six is when it started, because the first episode said episode five, and that was the fifth day is when they ended. So I, I don't know. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to go through the housekeeping. If you normally fast forward through housekeeping, you need to listen today. There's some cool stuff to hear in the housekeeping today. And then we're going to talk about where the hell do I get started I get a ton of emails from people going, I I just don't know what to do. I'm in the middle. I'm at the beginning. I'm anywhere. But I can't get the organization that I need in my head to be rational and go forward from here. So we're going to talk about it. Even though we've talked about that subject before, we're going to talk about it again. And I think this is going to be an exciting show, and it's going to be a different show, even though it's on a subject we visited before. And I hope you're going to enjoy it. So let's start out with The Colony. If you haven't seen The Colony, and you didn't hear my initial review on it, you may want to go watch it to uh, get a better understanding and come back and listen to the show again. But in the colony, there's these ten people. They're locked up in a warehouse. Well, not really locked up. They're kind of confined by movement to a base in an old warehouse. Huge metal building with all kinds of stuff in it under a scenario that there's been a global virus that's wiped out you know, a huge portion of the population. It's in Los Angeles so they try to keep the show real I guess so to speak with having marauders and stuff like that come by and harass them and try to steal their stuff and things like that. Well, the show started out yesterday with these people have been there for about a week now. Some of them are starting to gel together and really form relationships. Some are starting to uh, really get on each other's nerves. And there's a guy that I really like in the show, but I think he's got some self-worth issues that are causing him to just be a dick to everybody. But overall, I think he's a huge value to the group, and that's the handyman guy. I don't even know these people by their names, because I don't really care most of them anyway. I know them by what they do. So this guy's like a handyman, never went to college, never went to school. I know that because he's run his mouth about it constantly since he got there. But the guy's very skilled when it comes to getting things done mechanically. And... uh, He's been having some conflicts with these other people. These people went out to create a wood gasifier. Now, what they did is the handyman was working on a way to build a generator. They got an old alternator and they have this bank of 12 batteries set up. 
and uh, they found an old pressure washer that will work and put a pulley on it, hook up the alternator on it, and set it up and have that alternator turn power out to the batteries. Well, the first pulley that they found to uh, to put on the um, pressure washer was too big and it didn't spin the alternator fast enough. And I find it ironic that this handyman guy that was putting everybody down about how they were wrong about everything didn't get that that was going to happen. As soon as it did, and he was only getting like 9 volts out of the alternator, he went, yeah, I'm... I, I, I get it. It's like a you know, four to one exchange. It's not going to be not spinning it fast enough. So they found a new alternator, uh, or actually they found a new pulley, and uh, they managed to uh, kind of really crappily weld with a little acetylene torch. They found a, uh, a fitting together to get that small um, pulley onto that alternator or onto the uh, pressure washer, and it worked. And they got their uh, their their 12 volts, actually a little bit higher, almost 13 volts out of it so they could charge their battery bank. So that was great, except they're out of gasoline almost as soon as they got it working because there was barely any gasoline available. So the rest of these engineers, right, they're going to get together and create a wood gasifier. And they put together, uh, the first one they built didn't work very well. The second one, the wood that they were gasifying, they put in a small, uh, like a gas can. And they put it right down in the fire. They got it much hotter, and they were able to generate wood gas. And they were able to pump the wood gas into the uh, into the uh, the pressure washer's uh, intake and run the pressure washer w- with the wood gas, and that was pretty freaking cool that they were able to pull that off. And that gives them a battery bank of power, and they have tons of pallets laying there. So uh, the show's going to be ten weeks long. These people know that, so they pretty much, for as long as they stay there now, can produce their own power. Now. The whole time they were doing this and fighting this, I keep going back to what I said last week. There's uh, these street signs that they walked right past on their way into the place. You know, like uh, alerting, you know, the road ends or stuff like that. And they all had solar panels on them. Why don't they go pull the panels off the signs? I don't understand why they don't do this. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it was a figment of my imagination and they weren't really there. Oh, no, I went back and looked at the DVR previous week's episode. They did walk right past street signs with solar panels on them. I don't know. I would be going and strip those. So the show's getting interesting. And they also went out on a raid, basically. They went out foraging, which is basically stealing. And uh, they found a couple people in a tent. And I'm sure the people in the tent are actors. And they went home and ate, you know, steak that night. But in the scenario, they're, they're their fellow, you know, um, uh, refugees or whatever. They went and stole their food and um, stole some goats. And uh, a couple of the guys were like, we need to eat those goats. And the girls were like, they're cute. And, and, and the rational people were like, hey, these goats can make us milk and cheese. And the one guy's like, I don't know how long I'm willing to wait for some milk. And uh, I'm thinking, well, you probably don't have to wait long because it's a mother goat and her baby, so she's probably giving milk right now. So what they need to be doing is figuring out how to feed these goats because if you eat them, there ain't that much meat on a little baby goat and a mama goat. It just ain't that much. Um, but long term, they can be a renewable food supply with a protein supply with the milk. So they need to be thinking about that. Anyway, anyway, this is turning into a pretty good show. I want to say one more thing before I move out of the intro segment. We're at seven minutes now. Um, I hear a lot of people on the forum and in the blog world talking about this show and the absence of guns. 
It is reality television. It is not reality. And if you focus on trying to make it fit reality, you will lose the value of the show. Please don't do that, and you will enjoy the show more. They can't have guns in this show. Even like simunitions or paintball or airsoft or anything that would simulate a gun. Because if they do, it's not real when you're taking a life. So if one of the characters just gets annoyed with the other character, they can just shoot him, get rid of him. You're voted off the island. Bang. Right? That ruins the show because it was put together by producers to show um, ingenuity and how people could adapt in a certain situation. The other thing is it would make it too easy for them if they just went out and shot all the marauders and took their stuff. And if you gave the marauders guns, they could come in and kill off all the people overnight. Now, is that more of a real scenario if things got this bad? Yeah. But if you're trying to do a 10-week TV show and your cast gets killed on day four and there's no more cast, okay, and you can't go cut, redo, because it's supposed to be a reality thing, showing what people really do, how they really react, you know, you don't have a script, then you can't do that. So just accept that limitation and check this show out. It's on Discovery Channel, and I think you can watch it online. I think it's on Hulu or something like that um, if, you, uh, if you're not able to get it on your TV at home. It's online somewhere. We'll find out where, and we'll post it for you. So that knocks out our intro segment today, and hopefully you know, we won't always do politics or economics or ass clowns or something like that. Hopefully that will help you out. Um, Let's go ahead into uh, our housekeeping today. And our first thing is always make sure you're supporting the advertisers on our site. You will see them in the right-hand margin of the site um, with their banners. Know that they are all vetted by me personally, and then they are vetted by the moderators on our forum. And uh, if two or more moderators say no to an advertiser because of any reason whatsoever, they don't get on the site. And I promise you, if an advertiser ever doesn't take care of my audience, whatever amount of money I have from them for the remaining period of their term, I will refund it to them immediately, and I will tell them they are no longer welcome on the site. They will take care of my audience. And I mean in a, you know, in a reasonable way. If you're just not happy because you're not happy because you're a jerk, I'm not going to kick my advertisers off. But if you buy something, they'll send it to you. Or they send you something broke and they don't replace it. Or something like that. A clear violation of business practices. They're done. They're off my site immediately. No, you know, so just know that. Now, our advertiser of the day is Safecastle LLC. And I have a little bit of stuff to tell you about them today. Um, number one, I was uh, not at liberty till now to tell you that of the free stuff you get in member support brigade one of them is a free lifetime membership to safe castles discount buyers club if you go buy that membership from vic over at safe castle it will cost you 19 dollars uh, and that gives you discounts on all kinds of stuff on their site all the time really big discounts in the 30 percent range now Right now, this sale that I'm going to tell you about they're running, you don't have to be a member of their discount club. Anybody can get this offer. They're running a sale right now on three cases excuse me, on three cases of Mountain House, number ten cans of a variety of things, meats and, and all kinds of good stuff. For uh, about five hundred and fifty bucks. It's like five fifty six and some change or something. Like, call it five fifty. Now that's already a hell of a deal. That's eighteen cans at five hundred and fifty bucks. That's about thirty dollars a can. Um, that's a great deal on Mountain House already. 
But if you take that offer while it's on sale, they have four other products. I can't remember them all, but one's like a complete series um, of DVDs from Ron Hood. And uh, another one is, um, I think it's four cases of Yoder's Meats which is a pretty dad gone good deal. Uh, and then two other things. I don't remember what they are now off the top of my head. But those you will be able to buy. They're already on sale. They're already priced down. You'll get an additional third off on them. So with the, let's say the, uh, the 18 cans of Mountain House and the, uh, the four things he odors, you could really stock up the pantry for um, you know about 700 bucks. Really heavy for a good long-term storage. So consider that offer. And also, um, you know, let's move in a member support brigade from there. Uh, if you think the show's worth more than 25 cents an episode, consider supporting us by joining the member support brigade. You'll get exclusive content only available to members. And again, you'll get about $64 worth of retail value given away for free the day that you join the member support brigade and log in for the first time. There's a group of e-books by James Talmud Stevens back there uh, that retail for a little over $40, all of them together. They're all free for instant download. And you can either get them for free for me or you can buy them. Um, and then you'll also get a free lifetime membership to Safe Castle's Discount Buyers Club. So that means in your first year, the Member Support Brigade plays for itself. Um, next thing in housekeeping, um, I have changed the comments system on the blog, and we're going to see how it works, and I think it's going to be really cool. I've added a feature called Intense Debate to the WordPress blog that runs the site, and I've got it set up now, and you can do things like log into your Twitter account um, from my blog, and when you post your comments, have it immediately go to your Twitter account. You can log into your Facebook account from my site and uh, have it tr- you know, back and forth through your Facebook. You can respond to comments by email now. And the comments are threaded. So let's say the guy you're responding to commented four comments ago. Instead of, you know, saying at, you know, Joe, Joe Thomas and then saying what you have to say, you can hit reply under his comment and the comments will be threaded in streams. You can choose to be notified in all new comments or just notified of comments uh, that are rep- replies to you. So I think this is going to be a new great feature. I can't say there won't be any bugs or problems with it. Um, just know something. Down at the bottom, you're going to see an ability to log into, like, uh, Twitter and Facebook and all. You don't have to log into anything to post. Just like always, you do your comment, put your name, uh, your email address, and a website if you want your name linked to a website. If not, you leave a website blank. Enter the caption, hit submit, and your comment submitted. As always, when you submit the first couple times, I have to approve your comment so it may not show up immediately. Additionally, with this new system, some of you guys that have had your comments just going through, I think I'm having to approve them. We'll get caught up. It'll all work out. I think it's a big improvement. And you can rate other posters. So if you like their comment, you give them a thumbs up. If you don't like their comment, you give them a thumbs down. It gives them reputation. And you may want to set up an intense debate account, add your picture and things like that, uh, and it'll start uh, helping you interact on not just my blog, but blogs wherever you go and comment and post that are using the intense debate system. This thing's hot. I think a lot of people are going to pick it up. I don't jump on social network platforms unless I see real value, and I see some value here. So that knocks out the housekeeping in the intro segment. We're 14 minutes in. I know it was long, but I think maybe we got a lot of good stuff out today. 
so far. And hey, the um, the intro segment today was kind of like a mini episode. So let's move on to talking about well, you know how do you kind of get yourself started out? How do you get your mind right and your plan down to get from either sort of prepped to truly prepped, or from I ain't prepped at all. I'm a grasshopper, or I'm an ostrich, or I'm a sheep, and I want to become an ant. How do I get started? Uh, where do I go from here? Well, I think it's important, first of all, to understand that you have to think about this like running a marathon to a degree. And there's a lot of people in the prepper industry that all they can think of is a bunch of guns, a bunch of bullets, and one year's worth of food, and all kinds of camping supplies, and having the ability to be self-sufficient for a year if you have to, power and everything else. And yeah, it's a great goal. It's a great place to get to. Some people will go that far. Some people will get self-sufficient for 90 days. Uh, both are a lot better than you know where most people are at today. But either way, if your goal is 30 days self-sufficiency, 90 days self-sufficiency, or a year, if it's a marathon, you can't run mile 26 in a marathon without running mile one first. In fact, you can't run mile number two without running mile number one first. So take the pressure off yourself to get there tomorrow because it ain't going to happen anyway. And you stressing about it won't do anything except actually make it take longer. That doesn't mean you don't have a sense of urgency and a sense of motivation and an attitude that this needs to be done. It just means you don't sit around stressing about it, freaking out about it, and telling yourself, I'm never going to be able to get this done. Because if you tell yourself that, you'll be right. Because you won't. The next thing we need to do is we need to look at the three core center things that are my centric core to modern survival philosophy. Everything in modern survivalism, for me, that I put out there comes from these three factors. And if you don't get them down in your mind and in your head and solid and make them part of the way you think, it's going to be hard for you to take the philosophy and adapt it to make it your own. Because my philosophy is a starting point. It's a building block. You take it, alter it as you see fit. You have to own your plan. But these three things are pillars. And without them, you're going to have a hard time making anything fit your own life for survivalism because things just won't make sense and setting priorities is going to be difficult and you're always going to feel overwhelmed. Pillar one, disaster probability. Disaster probability is uh, the probably the most important linchpin to understand to get started in this. If you understand disaster probability, you'll be able to do a few things very well. One is you'll be able to prioritize your preparations. Do I do this or this next? I have a given amount of time and resources. I can do one of two things. Which one do I do? Disaster probability will help you with that. Number two, when you're talking to people that you want buy-in from, be them a close personal family member or spouse you want to, you want cooperating with you, or you're just trying to tell somebody outside that you care about, hey, look, you should do something. If you understand disaster probability, you will start with the things that are closest to home, and you will have the greatest chance of impacting them and making them understand how important it is to at least be a little bit prepared to get started in some way. 
So what is disaster probability? It's based on what I call the disaster probability matrix, which is a very simplified way to look at the way things that can happen. As I start examining disasters and the individual probability of one person experiencing a disaster in their lives, it came together almost by magic, and it works this way. Disaster probability on the highest probability starts out with personal. Anything that can happen to you as an individual or as a family level that will not affect the guy that lives next door to you at all, your next door neighbor, unless you tell him, will never even care. Anything that fits that is the most probable thing that you as an individual will ever have to face in your life. A typical example is losing your job. Almost everybody in their life at some time loses a job. There's almost no one that never loses a job in their life. The probability is massive. Death of a spouse or a loved one. Okay? Everybody deals with losing loved people in their life. Sooner or later, one of those loved people was critical to the foundation of the home. And that could be, hopefully it's when you're very old and you're, you know, you, you have some time left and maybe you've lost that, that person you spent your life with, but, you know, one day you're going to go on and see them in the hereafter. Hopefully it's that way, but life isn't perfect and not everybody grows old together. And that's a harsh reality, and it happens to millions of people every year. They lose somebody like that. And anything else that fits that mold, serious illness or disease of a family member, loss of a child, I hate to say it, I hate to say it, but these things are a hell of a lot more probable than a meteor impact or Yellowstone's volcano erupting, or an EMP pulse, or a nuclear war, or a terrorist attack in, in 27 major U.S. cities simultaneously. It's not that any of those other things can't happen. You tell me what you're most likely to experience in the next 12 months, that personal disaster or that huge disaster. On the probability scale, we move from personal to neighborhood level. A neighborhood level disaster is a severe weather event that's acute, like a thunderstorm or a tornado, or something like that, that affects a small part of a town, or a, a single neighborhood. We've had them happen here. We had um, tornadoes come through back in uh, 1999 that wiped out a neighborhood less than a half a mile away from me, but our neighborhood had no problems, and everything around it had no problems. The tornado went back up, it came back down, and destroyed a uh, commercial building that was under construction. It, it, it stopped touching down, it touched down again, and it dropped a huge thing across Highway 360, unfortunately, nobody was under it when it dropped, and then it went away. And it had these three areas that it did the most damage in, and pretty much everybody else was unaffected. Believe it or not, those types of disasters, when you examine anything that can cause that. When I was a kid, we had to evacuate our apartment down in Florida because a water treatment plant near us had a huge chlorine leak. If you were more than a mile up the road, it didn't matter to you. It didn't matter to you at all. Now, the individual things that can happen where you are at that level will differ based on where you live, obviously. If you don't live close to a water treatment plant, well, you're not going to have to worry about a chlorine leak from the water treatment because it's not there. If you live in the north, in the middle of the United States, let's say in the Dakotas, you're not real concerned about hurricanes. But you might be concerned about blizzards and ice storms that might get really acute and severe in your area. Right? And again, the neighborhood level disaster is more likely than the next thing out. The next thing out from there is a small region. A small region 
believe it or not, is a Hurricane Katrina. And you go, Jack, how, how, how the heck is Hurricane Katrina a small region? Well, in reality, New Orleans and some of the Gulf towns in uh, Mississippi and Alabama were the only ones that were really hit massively. Massively, massively hard. Where, you know, evacuation and total destruction and things like that. And even if you look at, you know, half of those three states, it's still a relatively small region compared to how big the United States is and how big North America is. Now, here's what happened that people didn't really get. A lot of price increases that went on after Hurricane Katrina had to do with Hurricane Katrina, even though it didn't happen in your area. And, what you know, that's because New Orleans is the fifth largest seaport in the world. So the price of gasoline went up, and oil went up, and commodities went up, things like that. So a lot of times a small region um, can affect the rest of the world. And in the case of Hurricane Katrina, it did. So it had some overlap there. But the true disaster was a relatively small geographic area. Now, a large regional event is even less likely. What is a large regional event? A large regional event might be something like a... um, a multi-pronged terrorist attack in several United States cities at the same time using nuclear devices. Because the fallout will extend far beyond the ground zero areas. It could be a massive um, weather event, far larger than Hurricane Katrina. Can't happen? It happened this year. It just uh, didn't get quite severe enough to pull it off. This year, this winter, there was an ice storm that extended from the Texas Panhandle to Pennsylvania. It ended up being a small regional disaster affecting mostly people in northern Arkansas, Tennessee, and Kentucky in small pockets. But had it gotten colder and been more intense, it would have cut a swath straight over to the eastern seaboard. Right across half the United States. It had the potential, but it didn't live up to it. That would be a large natural regional disaster. Then you move to the level of national disasters, where it affects the entire nation, and your probability goes down even further. That you as an individual will experience it. And then you move to the global cataclysms. The Armageddons. The giant meteor. Believe it or not, Yellowstone supervolcanic eruption, which probably ain't going to happen anytime while there's you know anybody you know still alive, but it could, and if it did, it is global cataclysm. These are the least likely things. So, if you start with that in mind, then it's very simple to say, well, the first thing I need to do is prepare to lose my job, to have a family member deceased or seriously injured, or to have a fire in our home and lose our house, or to have a small weather event that just affects my neighborhood, to have some reason that I have to leave my house, short-term or long-term, and I need to prep for that first. And after you get prepped for that as best you can, you start saying, okay, let's start examining what would happen if we had a city-level disaster. And from there you continue to move on. And what you realize is the bigger the disaster gets, the less help you're going to be able to get from others. The less help there's going to be from the police or the Army Reserves or anybody or or FEMA or anybody else. I know some of you guys think FEMA are coming out to kill us all. FEMA's not coming out to kill us all. You put the black helicopters back in your pants and, and settle down. I don't trust FEMA. I'm not saying that. But it's not a global conspiracy every time there's a disaster and FEMA 
comes out to help, most of those people that work there actually do want to help you. But the bigger disaster, the less help available. That moves us into the phase two of understanding these three pillars, the threat impact scale. The threat impact scale is, well, Jack, yeah, I understand I'm a lot more likely to lose a job, but like you say, people lose them every day. And most people sort it out. Okay, I'm saying if you're prepared, you'll have a much better experience when you lose a job, and losing a job will be an advantage. But you're also right. If you have a you know a citywide, small region disaster, it's a hell of a lot bigger of a problem than a job loss. We talked about job losses, uh, you know, yesterday. It really ain't as big a deal as some people make it out to be if you have the right attitude about finding a new job. But which one's more likely? Which one are you more likely to have to deal with? But then you take the threat impact scale, and that helps you start to prioritize the things that you need to be doing, even though they are worst-case scenarios. Taking that food storage from 30 days up to 90 days, up to six months, why you would want to do that. Setting up a bug-out location if you choose to do that. Having a place you could go if you had to evac, other than just sit still and bug in. If there's a weather event that's going to level your house, that's not really an option anymore, and I really don't want to end up in a shelter. The threat impact scale starts to help you take your priorities and kind of move them around and tailor make them to your own preparedness plan. And we won't go much further than that because it's pretty simple to understand. And it works directly in opposition to the probability scale. In other words, the higher the, pro- the, higher the impact, the lower the probability. Meteor impact, huge impact. Probability, infinitesimally low. In your lifetime, affecting you as an individual. Okay? So, from there, you find the bridge between the two of them. And this was the one that made it all click for me. Disaster commonality. When you step back and you look at impact scale and probability, you realize that you do not prepare for disasters. You do not prepare for events. You don't prepare to lose your job. And you don't prepare for, you know, back in the day, Y2K. You don't prepare for a collapse of the United States economy. You don't prepare for a war. You don't prepare for peak oil. You don't prepare for any of that stuff. It's interesting to understand. It's important to pay attention to. We do need to pay attention to causative uh, events, the things that cause disasters, but it's not the preparation that we do. We prepare for the lack of systems of support. We prepare to deal without the things that we take for granted every day. And that leads us to commonality. Because it doesn't matter if you just lost your job. If you don't have any money in the bank and you lose your job tomorrow, and you don't have any money you can rely on, for all intents and purposes, for you, the shit has hit the fan. You're in trouble. You can't go to the grocery store. Think about that. You can't just go down to the grocery store and buy some food. Or maybe you have a MasterCard. You can run that up for a while. But when you don't pay them, they'll shut it off. Sooner or later, if you don't rectify that solution, you end up in just as bad a shape as if your house is blown to the ground and everybody's had to evac your city because all the systems of support that you've relied on are no longer there. That's commonality. So you look at some basic preparations that a person would make. Stored food, cash reserves, pay off debt, have a garden. Four good, solid 
blocked starting places uh, to start out. Store water. So there's five. And that's that's the five big ones that most people do when they get into preparations. Okay? I lose my job. I have stored food. I don't have to go to the grocery store. I can feed myself. I've stored water. Eh, I don't really need that for a job loss. Alright? Okay, I'll give you that one. So that one doesn't fit the commonality. I have cash reserves and savings. I've lost my job. I can pull all my cash reserves and savings to make the gap until I find a new job. I have paid off my debt. Okay? I don't have as many bills. I can go longer in a period with no income, and I have a garden. I can supplement my food from my garden, so I, again, spend less money. So of those five common preps, four fit the highly probable job loss scenario. Now, I move to a scenario where we have a flu pandemic. Not the fake one that we had this year. A real one. People are dying. Five, six percent of people getting the flu are dropping over dead. Um, it's spreading rampantly. They're shutting down businesses. They're shutting down work. They're shutting down schools. Uh, the government issues a quarantine order. Stay in your homes. We have got to contain this. You're going to be stuck in your home for 30 days. Systems of support start to break down. Uh, you have electrical failures. Uh, you have power failures. You have uh, the water system starts to fail because there's not enough power for the city because everybody's freaked out and because uh, the people aren't showing up for work to do their jobs because everybody's afraid they're going to die. Let's go through it again. Your garden feeds you. Lack of Your lack of debt, you don't have any bills to pay. Cash reserves, if you can get out to buy anything, they'll help you. If you can't, they'll be there when your quarantine ends and you haven't had income for a while. Water, well, the water, you're having problems with the water system, so it's there. Stored food, you can feed yourself. That is a commonality matrix. And you can see how two very different disasters have about a 90% match in what helps. And when you understand that, then you stop worrying about, well, what disaster am I preparing for? What if this? What if that? And then you get common sense, and you say, I want to prepare to deal without the stuff that I use every day. And if we think about the show The Colony, what are we seeing very clearly from these people? They have certain priorities that they're trying to get taken care of so they can have a reasonable existence. Chief among them, they need to eat, they need to drink, they need to have some level of security, and they're trying to have some level of alternative power. And think about how easy their lives would be until they figured something else out. If they had a simple solar array with a bank of batteries and a little 1,200 kilowatt uh, generator that sips gasoline and about 50 gallons of gasoline and a six-month supply of food stored up right now and a means of harvesting and um, sanitizing water beyond the dirt filter and boiling method that they're using right now. If they had they have all this crap that the people on this show have given them, all the producers have given them, all kinds of stuff that they can weld together and tack together, but if they had just when they had the ability, and I know it's a show and they, if they had that, then it wouldn't be a very interesting show, but we're not talking about reality TV, now we're talking about reality. If you had that set up in your life and we went through this scenario and you had to hunker down and then you had a means of defense of your home, 
how easily, while inconvenient and uncomfortable you would be, how easily could you actually skate through a six-month period like this and come out the other side stronger and better and be part of the rebuilding? That's what we need to learn from this show. So pay attention if you watch it to those things instead of nitpicking on every bit of thing. Now, what do you do next once you understand these three pillars? You form your own plan. And I'm going to tell you what. Put it in writing. Write it down. Document your plan, where you're going to go next, what you want to do next. Put your goals in writing and check them off as you complete them. And when you check a goal off, add a new goal. It is so important. It's a proven business principle. It's a proven academic principle. And I'm telling you, uh, eventually it will become a proven preppers principle when enough people do it. It works. I can tell you it works. I do it. And now notice I said don't write down my plan. Write down your plan. This is so important. If you don't have your plan that fits your life and your resources, you won't follow it. I don't agree with the prepper people that say, hey, have one year's supply of food. Well, what if the guy makes a little bit over minimum? wage, you can barely pay his bills every uh, uh, week, and you're telling him, hey, have a one-year supply of food. Now, I'll agree with you, he probably needs it more than anybody else, but what is his opportunity to acquire it in the next couple months? It's probably very low. So you need to allow the flexibility of the individual to adapt their situation, because that takes away their excuse. The number one thing that happens is people go, well, I can't do it, I don't have the resources. And I'm taking your excuse away by saying, of course you do. You have the resources to do something, figure out that where, what that is, and get started today. And eventually, your resources will grow because you're acting like an ant. You're taking an incremental approach to adding a little bit to your stockpile every day. And a year from now, you're like, wow, I'm really, really well prepared, even though I, I don't have a lot of money. Wow, I've really paid off a lot of my debt. Then you get excited, you figure out more ways to either make more money or cut more costs, and you pay off all your debt. Once you pay off all your debt, all of a sudden you go, oh, look, I have money everywhere now, even if your income's relatively low. It works, but it starts with putting your goals in writing. The next thing you do is understand to do what's free, cheap, and easy right away. In other words, one of the things that you should have is a notebook or a stable together printout or something like that of the contact information of everybody you would need to get into touch to in touch with an emergency. Cell phones, landline phones, email addresses, physical addresses, everything you could possibly need to get in touch with anybody you would care about, including emergency responders and repair companies, electricians in your area, uh, uh, equipment rental, uh, tree surgeons, you name it, anything that fits a disaster that could happen in your neighborhood. You should have a listing with all of those people who to contact, how to contact them, how to get in touch with them, uh, if it's a business, hours of operation, things like that. Okay, you know what that costs you? The ink from the printer or the manual dexterity in your hand and the ink from a pen. It's, for all intents and purposes, free. I bet you if you don't have any paper and you can't afford it, you can go borrow something from somebody. You can say, can I have a, a, a spiral notebook? One of your friends will give you one. So take that step now. Do that today. Having a, you know, the government's recommended three-day supply of food. Oh, my God. Go buy garbage junk food that will handle three days and put it somewhere. And I, I don't mean candy, right? But I'm saying freaking three days worth of ramen noodles and, and beanies and weenies or whatever. Get at least that 72-hour period done. Put it in a bin. Set it aside. You know, you can afford that. Trust me. 
give up a, a six pack of beer a week for two weeks or a couple packs of cigarettes or whatever your vice is and get that three days. Now let me say something right now while we're on this three days. Whenever they, the media profiles a prepper and they go, well, the government does say to have at least three days. And then all the idiots at home go, well, hell, I got three days in my pantry. That is still taken out of context. The government's recommendation of three days of food is in addition to your normal living habits. It's three, 72 hours of food away from your pantry. It's there and ready to grab and go if you have to. And I've had a lot of people say, well, how do you know what a day's worth of food is? It's a minimum per individual of 2,000 calories. So if you have um, one person, it's at least 6,000 calories. And you probably want more than that. But that will keep you alive. That will keep you functioning. That will keep you running. A lot of people go on diets and they, they, take, they go way down from there. You know, 1,300, 1,200 calories when they're trying to lose weight. They live. So it's a minimum 2,000 calories as part of your plan. So if you have three people and you need three days, you need 18,000 calories worth of food. Now, is that how we live our lives? No, and it's part of why a lot of us are overweight. But you can do the same thing with your preps that you do with your day-to-day living. When you go to the grocery store, you don't think, okay, those pieces of steak are X calories, and then the carrots that I'm going to go with them, and we're going to have a salad, and that's how many, and that's a meal. What you do is go, okay, there's meat, there's a side dish, there's starch, this is what we're going to drink with it, and we're going to have this, and that's our dinner for Thursday night. You can do the same thing with your preps. Just kind of group things together in your head. But do a sanity check with your calories. If you think you have a month's worth of food, and you have a three-person home, okay, and then you add up your calories, and you're sitting on 30,000 calories, well, three people divided by two, right, you got 15 days. That's all you have. And that's at the threshold of what's sufficient to keep you sustained. So that's how you figure that out. But do the free, cheap, and easy things now. Don't wait on those things. Putting away some water. Oh, my God. You know, James Stevens says don't use those milk jugs for your water. Like the ones that the water comes in from Walmart because they're easily damaged. If you don't have anything else, you can go buy 10 gallons of water for 6 bucks at Walmart. Go get it. Then find a better way as a next step. Save some soda bottles. Those are really strong. The plastic soda bottles, the 2 liter ones, rinse them out really good. Use a little bit of baking soda with water when you rinse them out. That will get them nice and clean. Fill them up with water. They last for damn near ever. If you have a deep freezer and there's extra space in there, throw them in there. If the freezer fails, they'll help keep it cold longer. And if, if you have a power failure, you can take. if you have a water failure, you can take them out and let them defrost, and you have some drinking water there. Get these free, easy, cheap things done now. And then this is the most important thing. Don't compare yourself to your neighbors, and don't compare yourself to preppers that are online that are really advanced. Either way, both of them are dangerous. Here's what I mean by that. What I hear a lot of people say is, well, my neighbors aren't prepared at all. I'm good for 30 days. I'm pretty good. Well, that's nice and it's motivational and it's okay, but don't let that leave you resting on your laurels. Don't, don't let that, well, because you're, you're not preparing to be better prepared than Tom on one side and Bob on the other. You're preparing to deal with that systems of support. Remember that. 
So work hard to improve your preps, and, and how unprepared somebody else is doesn't make it better for you. In fact, the more unprepared the people around you are, that shouldn't make you feel good. That should make you feel nervous, because in a disaster, they're probably a bigger danger than a disaster. Most disasters are acute. They come through like a wave, wham, and they hit. And they cause damage. And then usually the biggest dangers are presented by the people that remain in the area that weren't prepared to deal with it. So if you're like, well, my neighbors are all a bunch of idiots, and they all have their heads in the sand, they're all ostriches, and I feel pretty good because I can handle at least three weeks, well, you're going to have to deal with a bunch of neighbors freaking out in your neighborhood if you have a neighborhood-level disaster. Now, the fortunate thing is if it's a neighborhood-level disaster, there'll be outside systems of support that can come in and people won't freak out too much. But if it's a really big disaster, those neighbors instantly become a threat because they're not prepared. So you need to be more prepared. The other side, please, please don't go into the forums and look at a person that's been doing this for 10 years, that has two years worth of food with pictures of it in their basement showing you how they've organized it. They have generators, they have solar, they've invested a quarter million dollars into their life over 10 years or more. They have a paid-for house, they have paid-for vehicle, they're sitting on 20 acres of land, and you just go, man, I will never get there. This is too hard. Don't compare yourself that way either. Don't feel inadequate when you have a 90-day self-sufficiency program set up in your life ready to go right now where I can pull the plug of electricity to your house. I can pull away your income and I can say you have to stay home and you can make it for 90 days and feel bad that you're not that guy that can do it for two years or probably for the rest of his life because he's got enough land to farm and he's got enough livestock to feed himself with and he can be self-sufficient for the rest of his life if he had to be. Don't compare yourself to him other than in a way that is positively motivational. And you may not want to be there. And I've had people email me and go, Jack, i got about a 90-day plan in place. And I think that's enough for us. And I want to tweak it here and there and maybe extend a little bit. But basically, I'm content. Is that okay? Of course it's okay. Of course it's okay. Because on disaster probability, you've got 80% of what's likely to happen in your life taken care of. At least 80% or more. And if that's what you're comfortable with, that's what you're comfortable with. Think about it this way. No one's going to tell you, uh, well, I have a half a million dollars worth of life insurance. And then they're going to turn around and say, well, I got five, five million. You need five million. You buy the level of insurance that you're comfortable with for your life, your lifestyle, and the risks associated with it. You prep the same way. You prep to the level that makes you comfortable. I'm just saying that it's, it's probably more than 72 hours that the government talks about. That you can do in day one if you really want to. You can go out and pick up tin cans and make enough money in a day if you really have to, uh, to get to three days. And with that, I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap up. It's about 45 minutes into the show at this point. It's time to do that. And I am exiting Highway 121 off the Tollway North. So I am almost to the office, so I need to wrap up. Uh, but let's see. Tomorrow what I'll do is I'll come back and I'm going to talk to you about food storage tomorrow. I'm going to talk about a variety of ways that you can store food, um, both food that you would get from the grocery store uh, and food that you would maybe grow yourself, food that you would buy in bulk, uh, some different methods of preservation, things like that. It's probably time for a show like that again. I think that will be interesting. And uh, So tune in tomorrow for that. Remember, this is a badass sale that Vic's doing at Safe Castle. 
Um, come on, 18 cans of Mountain House for 500 bucks. I know it's 500 bucks, 550 bucks, right? And, and if you're not planning to buy a bunch of Mountain House anytime soon, okay, then it's just 500 bucks you weren't going to spend, and you don't want to spend it. I understand. But if you've been thinking, I need to really kind of stock up the pantry with some Mountain House, this is a hell of an opportunity. And make sure you look at the other one-third discounts that are available, because if you added the odors meat with this, like I said, um, even for a family of four, you got a significant amount of long-term storage food there. And that stuff's good eating stuff, too, man. Um, so check that out. If you haven't been watching The Colony, see if you can find the back episodes online. I'll see if I can find it for you. Start watching that show. I think we can learn a lot from it. We're going to be critical of a lot of things they do. But let's do it within the realm of this is reality television and what can they teach us. And let's be honest. When a couple people get together, find some junk in a warehouse, and turn it into a generator in two days, that's actually pretty impressive, and let's give them credit for that. And remember to keep prepping and keep planning for yourself. Put your goals down in writing and start working on them today. Not tomorrow, not the next day. And if, you are, if you're well into the process, use this as an opportunity to refine. And if you're new and you haven't been sure what to do, hopefully you have a new way to think about things and a new way to organize things. And you know what? Spend a little bit of time in the canned food section. Spend a little time in the dry food section. Plant a few seeds in the backyard that will start producing some food for you. Start learning and improving your skills and start improving your sustainability. And if you do that, you're going to have a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream and you can holler. It really doesn't matter. Get spent 